this is what I can give someone when it's their birthday next. And I made a bunch at once because I thought it was more efficient that way. I was editor-in-chief of our newspaper our senior uh -huh. year. Of course, when it's class time, you're there. But how do you convince someone to stay late the day before we have to sit, send something to print? I studied at NYU. I studied business. Yeah. They didn't know what I wanted and that yeah. I wanted a broader degree. So then I shifted it to business and I ended up studying marketing and statistics. I was first treasurer and then president of a club called Net Impact, which explores the intersection of doing business and doing good. I want to be able to actually make an impact with something I'm doing, otherwise wow. I don't see the purpose behind it. Internet L'Oreal in marketing, Ooh. which is an amazing place to go work and study more marketing after graduation because it is really good at marketing. Operational marketing, so here's a product, now how are you gonna sell it? Okay. As well as, and I did that for Maybelline, I worked on lips. Maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe it's Maybelline, exactly. Being in hair care for Garnier. Fructis. So, Fructis, yes, exactly. Uh, thinking about what products we were gonna launch like two to three years out. Yeah. So looking at the like, gaps in the market and that was very entrepreneurial. Like what's a gap in the market? Now create a new product from scratch based on what you're maybe seeing in analogous industries. That's interesting. I realized I wasn't passionate about beauty, yeah. which I already knew going in, but I didn't realize how much that would start to bother me, eat away at me, I guess. It all felt very small. It's a very large company, very yeah. hierarchical, like most large companies. And that was frustrating. Well, I started, I moved to consulting strategically. I wanted to work somewhere where I'd be exposed to different industries to kind of figure out where I would want to go. For example, we worked with Merck and Amazon Alexa, and they wanted to figure out what kind of skills can we build on Alexa to help people living with type two diabetes. For a little bit more than two years, but I started my company like a year and four months in. Enjoy working here, but my next role, I wanted to be in the health and wellness space directly because that's what I'd, I realized that was what I was most passionate about. People that are in my world come to me for. Mm. And it was like very much like, how do you live a healthy life? And what have you done to live a healthy life while also pursuing a demanding career? Usually you have to pay for these, but. Nope. Oh, oh, mine doesn't have, mine's broken. Mine is two. Okay. Well, that's when it's free, it doesn't work. Yet. Thank you, that's. I've never, so that's new. That's new, that whole. So I run here a lot. Yeah. And that I want to thank you. I mean, I don't run, I, haven't, I don't run a lot lately anymore, but. I don't think it was there. I'm gonna switch. A month career. And I think a lot of people can relate to this. Suddenly your life looks so different and like something you might've been doing before, you no longer have time for. So in college yes. I had more, I, I could make more time flexibly, right? Cause a lot of it is spent studying or in extracurriculars and you control that. But then I started working and I suddenly had to be in an office from like 8.39 until sometimes pretty late. And I wouldn't always know it was unpredictable. And so, I didn't have a routine and I wasn't feeling very good. Yeah. And I was realizing it was impacting my performance at work. I was feeling really good because I was prioritizing working out and eating healthier. Yes. But the way that whole journey happened was very, it was like focused on small micro steps. So first I was like, let me just work out two times a week. I'm gonna be at work at 6 a.m. Uh -huh. But I could be at the gym at 6 a.m. most days. Yeah. Or 6.30. So finding solutions that work for your lifestyle when your lifestyle changes. See, you know, here's these influencers doing these crazy wellness routines. I can't do that. I have to, I have to, I have to work. I don't have time to do You're that. You're not a professional Instagram influencer. <laughs> that, but like the way it's positioned online and also the way a lot of content on platform, like websites makes it look like every single woman is doing that thing. Or I've started meal prepping on Sundays, so I'm still able to bring a healthy lunch to work. Very frustrated by a lot of 
blogs, like large publications online uh -huh. that had all this unrealistic content yeah. that was just putting you down. Yeah. So like 15 ways to become a morning person. Sure. Which is a clickbaity title. And none of, you're not going to do any of them, no. you, you know, and then you'll feel good. So like none of it was solving something for people. Like two weeks. I just spent time talking to people. Uh -huh. I didn't even have, I was like, what is the problem I'm solving? And what is the, what are the pain points? So I went very customer first. Yes. Agree to join my pilot. And I didn't even know what the product was, but I sure. knew, I literally did it. She agreed and I was like, okay, we start tomorrow. And then I made it up. <laughs> That's I, right there. I literally, yeah. That right there is so wonderful. The check-ins were kind of redundant. People just needed the weekly planning and a monthly check-in. And so like, as I had these users, the product evolved a lot. Can you text me before bed? Because otherwise I'll stay up hours later and I won't get up to go to work, to work out. Uh-huh. So like people started asking for that. They want constant, constant. Nudges, reminders, motivation. Yeah. Yeah. So. H high touch. Yes. And so, but high touch in a way that's easy for you to respond to. Like a call became a pain point because these people are too busy and no one calls anymore. Yeah. You know, so it like shifted completely to text message away from just human to like a little bit of automation in there as well. If people are still following through on an automated message, how much further can I push that? Uh -huh. Right. So saying is in order for it to be scalable, yeah. it has to be automated. And I now see a world where natural language processing is going to allow a robot to respond more than me. Argue that people are just sick and tired of downloading more apps. So like, you don't need to do that here. Uh. You know, it's, you already have it on your phone. Like there's no friction. If I'm gonna build a scalable company, what a quicker way for me to go to market is by going business to business. In on exercise is the one people want most. And that's where this method works really well. So I've z narrowed in on that. But now I'm like, where are there a bunch of people that want to exercise more but aren't? Way for me to partner with gyms, and digital fitness subscriptions who have a ton of churn. So people that are quitting, filling this bathtub with new leads and the bathtub just has a bunch of holes in the bottom because uh -huh. people keep quitting. A product like Habit House can actually get those people to exercise consistently and feel really good while also helping the gym achieve their goals. What I've realized myself and then the feedback that I've gotten is that I'm good at building yeah. and creating a world that I really enjoy working in. Yeah. I feel extremely empowered by it as a person. The highs of entrepreneurship are high, but the lows are much lower. Oh, yes. And it's <laughs> it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's also the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Here in the universe, if you know anybody who's passionate about health. Yes, and then has technical knowledge because that's where I lack. Because if you are exercising consistently, you might have the confidence to speak up at work and get that promotion you've always wanted, right? Ah. Or start dating again. Yes. I hear that one a lot kind of the catalyst that gets a lot of them going. Yeah. Because when you are exercising consistently, you have a lot of endorphins. Yes. And when you have endorphins, you're more inclined to do other things to improve your health. I think a lot of women sometimes don't focus on the big picture because they're not encouraged or pushed to. Yeah. Whereas a lot of, I think I was very insecure in the beginning about my ability, like why would I be the one to solve this or do this? Uh -huh. I know I can hack anything together to prove out any concept yeah. without investing a ton of money in it. How did they do that? Like they're so far, I could never get there. But like once you start talking to those people, you realize they've hacked it together and they're battling the same issues you are. Hello, Startup Hunters. Thank you guys so much for listening. This podcast would be nothing without you. And also, this podcast is a startup, so I need all the help that I can get. Would you please leave me a good review in the App Store? This would be huge. That's it. On to the episode. Welcome to Startup 
Hunter, and I am here with Ilsa Panakar, who is the CEO of Habit House, which is a startup to get you exercising consistently today. So I don't know if you know, but I sort of think you know that on this show, we actually go all the way back before we get to the present. Because I want to know what all of these entrepreneurs, including yourself, mm -hmm. what makes you tick? Why are you the way you are? And the place that we start is where were you born, Ilsa, and what uh -huh. did your parents do? Yeah, I was born in the Netherlands and actually moved back and forth between there and Portland, Oregon four times before I was 12. I'll, I'll jump back, but oh. I wanted to say that. Constantly was starting over again. Um, my mother is an abstract artist uh, and my father works in IT for, has worked in IT for large, large companies. Um, so it seems like your mother is the more entrepreneurial of the two. She's very, very creative, yes, and started her own business doing something. Wow, that is so loud. It is very loud. <laughs> the, mic, the mics will pick it up. We're fine. Okay. There is a point. There is a point okay. where, yeah. where we, we should stop talking. But this okay. is New York. Okay. Like this, this, this is, is the all, way it is. This is yeah. all going in. Um, and uh, I should just keep going. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. My, my mom is, is an entrepreneur. She uh, produces both abstract paint, acrylic paintings as well as ceramic art. Though she didn't really start that until I was maybe 10 or... Yeah, around like 10 or 11. So, but we were always very creative as a family doing lots of arts and crafts at home because of her. Yeah. So do you think, and the, the, the next question I typically ask is, what do you think your first hustle is? But I'm gonna, I'm gonna shift that a little bit. Do you think your first hustle was arts and crafts or something else? My first hustle, the thing I did? Like uh, I have another memory actually of my first hustle. Yeah. So, which is kind of a silly story. <laughs> and I've never thought about it until now. Uh -huh. But I have, I just remembered that I would pre-create like birthday gifts. Like, of course I was little, mm -hmm. right? Like less than 10 years old. Like these are exactly, yeah. Like, oh, I want to, this is what I can give someone when it's their birthday next. And I made a bunch at once because I thought it was more efficient that way. Yeah. So it would be like a card or something I could give to someone that of course was a value because I created it, but not See, monetary value because I didn't have any money. You would create but I like, think that was my first hustle. You probably. would create like 10 cards at once. Yes. Mm. And I would have like this little folder <laughs> with things for birthdays. Like an assembly line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think that was probably my first hustle I more love, than the crafts. I love it. So, <laughs> um, what was maybe a little older than next kind of thing in that realm mm -hmm. where you're taking some initiative is really what I'm looking for. Hmm. So it could be leadership. It does, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to be a physical thing. It could be some activity or. Yeah. I mean, I jumped to high school. Is that too late? It's fine. Nothing's too late. Then. Okay. Or I don't know. I'm trying to think before then. I mean, I went through the last time I, when I moved to America when I was 12, that was uh -huh. extremely hard because that's when you're really self-conscious. And so I was very quiet and it took me a few years to become confident again and yeah. realize I was capable. But in high school, I was thriving in terms of like, performing well. And I was editor-in-chief of our newspaper our senior uh -huh. year. Yes, so and that's huge. That was huge, yes. There was me and one other co-editor-in-chief. Co we were together, but 
yeah, it was a, it's a pretty big high school and we produced a newspaper every single month and we were in charge of the whole thing from front to back. And how big was your uh, staff? Um, we had probably maybe like 25. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I didn't even really give myself credit for it until now, I think. So were but. you like doing things like, you know, buying them snacks, to, you know, to keep them motivated? We had late night where we had food, yes. Yeah. Uh, we got sweatshirts my year, which was very fun. It said we've got issues, like newspaper issues, uh -huh. you know, um, which I think brought a sense of community in. We hadn't had shirt, sweatshirts in a while. Um, yeah, it was hard because how do you convince people? So we had, it was a class, right? So of course when it's class time, you're there, but how do you convince someone to stay late the day before we have to sit, send something to print? Yeah. It's hard. I will motivate, motivating. <laughs> motivating. Uh, yes, but also setting very clear expectations, right? Uh -huh. So this is what I'm looking for from you and this is why it matters and how can I get you to be invested in it? What do you think back? What do you think is like a fault in your leadership from that time? What do you think something you did was maybe too extreme yeah. or that didn't work? Is there anything that comes to mind? Um, I'm pretty rigid. Yeah. So I'm very structured which is also why I help people build habits now. Yes. <laughs> but it's like, for me, it's like, okay, like this is how we're gonna do it. And why wouldn't you stick to a timeline? I've always stuck to timelines and realizing that people work differently. Yeah. That was a little hard for me to understand. Yes, so, so this is a topic that's really interesting to me because I am, there, there's two basic, it, it, have you ever studied like personality types? Like, yes. you know, the um, Myers-Briggs. Myers yeah. So yeah. On, on the topic of, you know, planning. There, there's a very specific personality trait, uh -huh. which is judging versus per perceiving. There's other things that go along with those traits, um, but judgers tend to be planners and perceivers tend to be like, anti-planners. Yeah. Like, yeah. you try to get me to stick to a plan, uh -huh. I will find every excuse or just re yeah. reason Not to, to do say, Let's keep it loose because this feels way too constrained huh. for me. Yeah. So, huh. yeah. So that's a topic that's just really interesting to me. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what the, what the distribution and the population is. I don't think it's 50-50. I think it's, you know. Well, I also think you can be a planner at some things and not others. Exactly. Exactly. So it, it depends probably on... It's, yeah. not, it's not like absolute. It's not no. black and white. There, yeah. there, there is gray area. But there's a lot of both. Yeah. And it can be hard in, in terms of the people. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a big learning. Like, oh, I think I would have done that differently. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Self-awareness. Really what we're talking about is self-awareness. Yeah. How other people are different than, than you yeah. or I. Or... Well, and similarly now where that comes into place with my company is that there's some people like myself that feel accountable to themselves. So if I tell myself I'm going to do something, I will do it. Mm. I just will because I've told myself I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then there's, of course, people are, that are kind of in this grayscale, but then there's people on the other end of the extreme that'll only do something if they told someone else they were gonna do it. Yeah. And otherwise they won't follow through. Yeah. And that's where Habit House and like accountability from a real human really thrives, that type of a person. Now let's just think a little chronologically. Yeah. Um, so you, we're in high school, you're yes. the editor of your school newspaper uh -huh. in Portland. Yes. Um, yeah, right outside of Portland. So yeah. is it, oh, outside, so not it's, even Portland. No, or, no, Lake Oswego, Oregon, which is a small town with good public schools. <laughs> yeah, 
So I was th I was thinking Portlandia, but oh well, there's like that granola exists, but not not <laughs> as much. No. Okay. Um. So now, did you go to university? Yes. Yes, I actually came to New York to study. Um, so right here. Right here, and then I never left. I decided that I wanted to be able to. I think we should stand this way Which? with the light, no? Okay. Oh. I don't know. I don't know. I think it will be better. You want, so, oh, you want the light on our face? I don't know. What do you think? I was showing them. I was. Oh, you wanted to see the cars. Okay. <laughs> so I came, I studied at NYU. I studied business. Yeah. I, when applying to schools, I decided that I wanted to be somewhere where I could have an internship and study at the same time to yeah. get a balance of both. But then I never had an internship during school once I got here. Yeah. So I very much had a very NYU-centric four years. I did a ton with this university uh, and interned during the summer. But I'm basically saying you could have dropped the school anywhere else and I would have had a very similar experience. So, um, <laughs> did you go to study something specific or? So I transferred actually. So I went into NYU studying hospitality. Yeah. And then I decided that I didn't want to do that. Yeah. That I wanted, I didn't really, I decided that I didn't know what I wanted and that yeah. I wanted a broader degree. So then I shifted it to business and I ended up studying marketing and statistics. Yeah. Yeah. So really analytical side, yes. of, side of business. Well, I decided that if I was going to do marketing, I wanted to be able to have the statistics, like knowledge of statistics and data to be able to back up what I was doing. But you gravitate towards business. Uh-huh. Um, now, what kind of extracurriculars were you doing? Yes. Okay. So I did multiple things during my time there. I was a student ambassador, so I gave campus tours um, as well as answered like any admissions-related phone calls. And my junior year for that program, I like was a supervisor that kind of led all of the marketing and communications for that group. So that was a group of, I think, 150 students. So it was a lot of people to, how do you make 150 people know about a policy change? Or how do you recruit the right people on campus to even come be this job? Yeah. So I helped there. Um, at, for Stern, I was first treasurer and then president of a club called Net Impact, which explores the intersection of doing business and doing good. Uh-huh. Because I have a hard time not working. I, I really want to be able to like actually make an impact with something I'm doing. Otherwise, uh. I don't see the purpose behind it. Yeah. So that was where that group, that community existed within the business school at NYU. So this group is interesting to me. What were some of the problems that you were tackling in that group? So we weren't tackling a ton of problems. Yeah. Well, so, well, let me answer. Kind of, we did two things. So one, we brought in a lot of speakers. Uh -huh. So see people from that worked in corporate social responsibility or people that had an organization like Charity Water, which is a nonprofit, but is an innovative nonprofit. Right. Um, or companies similar to like the Tom's model where you give one for everyone you buy, sell. Um, to come talk and educate students on like options. We did have a non like nonprofit consulting arm. I wasn't, there was someone else that led that. So I wasn't quite as involved in it. Mm. I think what the main thing we were trying to do is help people at the school, which is very finance focused, realize that like you can do other things <laughs> than finance. 
and you can go into other career paths. It doesn't have to be that one. Mm. And here's one that's also viable and maybe it gets you more excited than down to go work Wall Street. In, yeah. And then to go work in that. <laughs> Literally what I wanted to say. Yeah. That building right there. So I think that was, we weren't really focused on, I didn't solve anything while there. It was more creating a community and educating people on, on another path that maybe their parents didn't tell them about. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's yeah. sort of why I do this show. Um, but, but I don't want to get too far off on a tangent. Okay. Um, so that's really cool. The Social Responsibility Club. I know I have the name wrong. But Net Impact. Net Impact. Yeah, which is a national oh. organization. They have like, New York City has a group. There's, they're big, but yeah. we were like the undergrad arm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is one of your extracurriculars. Did you start any companies in college? No. Okay. I wasn't involved in entrepreneurship at all. Well, I, I mean... I, I mean, in, in terms of, like, I didn't think I, I... Yeah. At the time, I didn't. No, I... But here you are... Yeah. <laughs> ...taking initiative to do something. Yeah. Nobody's asking you to do it, right? Yeah. Um, right. And so, even though maybe you technically do not have a, a corporation on paper, you're being entrepreneurial in some kind of way, I think. That's cool. Yeah, because I was creating things and solving exactly. problems. Exactly. Yes, and probably, well, definitely doing more than the average person. Yes. So you have your degree in marketing and statistics. Yeah. yeah. And what did you do after that? I actually entered corporate America. Yeah. So <laughs> junior year summer, which is like the big intern summer for people studying business at NYU. I interned at L'Oreal in marketing, Ooh. which is an amazing place to go work and study more marketing after graduation because it is really good at marketing and yeah. it's a huge company. And so then I got an offer and went back there full time. I worked uh, in, on three different brands for almost two years before I left, but we'll get into that in a second. But basically I got to see operational marketing, so here's a product, now how are you gonna sell it? Okay. As well as, and I did that for Maybelline, I worked on lipstick. Maybe it's Maybelline. Maybe it's Maybelline, exactly, but now it's uh, make it happen. It doesn't, it's not in me though, it's <laughs> like, hasn't penetrated my consciousness. That's the new one, when you see an ad now, you'll see that it says make it happen. I worked on lip, so I sold a lot of like lipstick and okay. color, and that was my world. And then I switched over to working in hair care for Garnier. So fructis, yes, exactly. Uh, thinking about what products we were going to launch, like two to three years out. Yeah. So looking at like gaps in the market, and that was very entrepreneurial. Like, what's a gap in the market? Now create a new product from scratch based on what you're maybe seeing in analogous industries. That's interesting. So that's that. That's a really like scientific way to go about business, and it's maybe intelligent. And you mean in terms of like where's the gap? That, yeah, yeah. Like identity, yeah. Like. So identifying like a, like identifying a gap in the market and then trying to like formulate a solution yeah. is one thing. I'm really of the school of like. What was that? Or looking at data because L'Oreal has a ton of access to data. Of sure. like oh in 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 lux in the luxury market this is happening. Let's try to bring that to the consumer market. So maybe also a niche brand was doing something innovative and yeah. then trying to innovate off of that. So it wasn't always because of a gap, but I guess there was some sort of data tied to it. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm really of the school where it's like, I have this one thing that's bothering me and it bothers me so much. I need a solution to it. Yeah. I don't, and I look and I find no solution to it. 
I'm going to do that. And I don't care about the data, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I just like, here's my solution. I, I need it. Maybe other people need it. Yeah. You know, I, I can relate to that now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, I'm in the wellness space and there's plenty of wellness products. So if you'd looked at the data and the fact that what, like 80% of 90% of companies fail. Oh yeah. If you're going to look at that data. Why would you then, then do it? You know, 99% of companies yeah. fail. Um, <laughs> ZipRecruiter makes a really, uh, by the way, this post is not sponsored by ZipRecruiter. But if I say their name t enough times, maybe it will be. <laughs> um, they do sponsor a lot of the podcasts. Podcasts, but, yes. Um, they, uh, they, their latest ad just said, 600,000 new businesses are created in America each year, yet 595,000 of them go out of business. That's why you need ZipRecruiter. All right, yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I mean, having the right talent is a very important aspect of running a successful business. Yes, it is. So but, but we're, I we're, can agree in some ways. I don't think that's why 500,000 went out of business though. We're like, and you could theoretically use ZipRecruiter to hire your co-founder. I am not against that idea because I think there's something, you know, in those first mm -hmm. 96 months or whatever it is, or 12 months, um, there's just something that everything has to go right. Yeah. And um, yeah. so, so I'm, getting, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Uh, so so we're, on, we're on big companies, uh, innovation yes. in, at L'Oreal. Yeah. So you did two years at L'Oreal. Yeah. What I want to know is why did you leave? Um, like why aren't you yeah. a VP today? Well, a, f a few reasons. First, I realized I wasn't passionate about beauty, yeah. which I already knew going in, but I didn't realize how much that would start to bother me, eat away at me, I guess. And you that, didn't realize, like, you, you were, I knew going in that beauty wasn't what I cared about. You were, but it's not like you hated it. You were just, I, yeah. like, slightly interested, but not, like, mega, super all-consuming interested. Yes, and then once I started working there, I realized I wasn't interested to slay away for many hours every day working on that. Yeah. While people around me were very passionate about it. Yes. Right? So it was more like, wow, they care so much more. I might not be the right person. And then my role felt very small. It's a very large company, very yeah. hierarchical, like most large companies. And that was frustrating. Lack of freedom. Yeah. So I wanted to go work somewhere smaller. And then I also decided that I wanted to work somewhere where that kind of well, I started, I moved to consulting strategically. I wanted to work somewhere where I'd be exposed to different industries to kind of figure out where I would want to go. Yes, very intelligent. So I switched to a job at Luminary Labs, which is a small strategy and innovation firm in the city. So it was small. There's about, there's about 15 people there when I was there, which allowed me to have wear many hats, have a large role. I got to lead an account more or less by myself and for you, over a year. Which account? That was in the healthcare space. Okay. So... Um, I was the one going into the client office. I learned a lot about client management and project management and how to get multiple stakeholders on board. So now on board for, were you? We like, were helping them with like their digital marketing strategy yes. and setting a lot. Of, the pharmaceutical industry is quite regulated. So how can you market something online in an industry that has a lot of boundaries and still take advantage of like an Instagram or a Snapchat ad right. when you have a lot of disclaimers and how would you do that? 
Yeah. So thinking, but I had to think both, why'd you do multiple things? First, educate people on platforms that they didn't know about. Sure. Second, argue or- So you have all these, you have all these <laughs> old people with lots of money running companies and they don't know the power of Instagram advertising. Yeah. They don't know the power Yeah. Of, well, it was of, one company. The rest of the stuff we did was, I guess, that was one job I had. It wasn't what the whole company did. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's like, how do you, how do you educate to people? How do you educate people on the power of this and why you should change your rule that has existed for years because it's not physically possible to follow through on that, on that platform. You don't have room for like four or 500 characters of copy or more uh-huh. because there's only room for, you to know. show all the disclaimer. Yeah, you don't. So like, how can you do it in a creative way, in a way that's still gonna make people engaged? with it and still be effective. Yes. But another part of the thing that they do more at Luminary Labs is open innovation. Yeah. So they help, we helped for like large companies set up these prize competitions where they had a problem they wanted to solve and they wanted entrepreneurs across America to solve it for them. They wanted to go- extremely interesting. Go to like the fringes of the ecosystem to help to solve it. So for, and this is public so I can talk about it more. (laughs) Like, for example, we worked with Merck and Amazon Alexa and they wanted to figure out what kind of skills can we build on Alexa to help people living with type two diabetes. And they wanted to help people in different industries solve that problem. So maybe some people were Alexa skill developers, but maybe someone else was actually working in healthcare, right? So they had the diabetes expertise. And so the way open innovation works is you put up prize money, which gets people in- incentivized to actually participate. And then we brought them through an accelerator to help them, to help select teams refine their ideas. And then a winner would eventually be chosen by subject matter experts. My role on that was, again, marketing and communications. So how do you get people from across America to even know about this? How do you create a small, mini brand is what I like to call it of to get people. Oh, I do want to actually enter my idea or I do want to solve this. I think it is worth it. And then not just from one industry from a ton so that you get a variety and a diverse range of ideas. Cause that's why they're doing this in the first place. Very interesting. Yeah. That, so the, I think that's so relevant to entrepreneurship. Maybe what you're doing right now, which is actually seeing that kind of idea factory, you know, that sort of, big company reaching out to very small, very yep. nimble, yep. you know, outfits. And to see that firsthand, I think is invaluable. So how long were you at, um, you know, being a strategic consultant? I was there for a little bit more than two years, but I started my company like a year and four months in. Okay. So I was side hustling for a while of those two years. So, but I will, what happened is like a year and a few months in, I guess a year in, I was like, okay, I enjoy working here, but my next role, I wanted to be in the health and wellness space directly. Cause that's what I'd, I realized that was what I was most passionate about. Yeah. So I started to think about what do I, as a person naturally read about, naturally know about what do people that are, that are in my world come to me for? Mm. And it was like very much like, how do you live a healthy life? And what have you done to live a healthy life while also pursuing a demanding career? Yeah. And so I was like, okay, if that's what gets me going, how can I bring that into my career more? And so I was already think, I was just, I just was thinking about it. I wasn't really acting on it. It was more, okay, I know this. Are these things free? Um, Usually you have to pay for these, but. No. I can't really see any out of this. 
I don't know. Well, where where'd you pay then? You, there's a nozzle on the on the right. Ah, that's why it's not focused. Oh, mine doesn't have mine's broken. Mine is two. Okay. Well, that's when it's free. It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> that's why. Wait, wait. I'm gonna try to clip my thing on me, so then it's more comfortable. Oh yeah. It could be more comfortable. Yeah. Let's head, let's head. Yeah. I want to thank you, that's... I've never, so that's new. That's new, that whole... So I run here a lot? Yeah. And that, I want to thank you. I mean, I don't run, I, haven't, I don't run a lot lately anymore. Two, I have two questions. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your side hustle while you were working at... Well, uh, Habit House. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So that answers that really quickly. So more, uh, more pressing. I started on working on it while there. Yeah. More pressing though. Yeah. Um, is. Well, actually that's not true. First I started something else, but that was just a blog. Cool. So, yeah. Everybody was coming to you for health advice. Yes. Now talk about that. Like, um, were you, are you like really into like what you put into your mouth, you know, like, mm -hmm. like the yes. nutrition yeah. so, or, or physically working out? Both. So what had happened is while I was at L'Oreal, when I started my career, and I think a lot of people can relate to this, suddenly your life looks so different and like something you might've been doing before, you no longer have time for. So in college yes. I had more, I, I could make more time flexibly, right? Cause a lot of it is spent studying or in extracurriculars and you control that. But then I started working and I suddenly had to be in an office from like 8.39 until sometimes pretty late. And I wouldn't always know it was unpredictable. And so I didn't have a routine and I wasn't feeling very good. Yeah. And I was realizing it was impacting my performance at work. And so I started to prioritize wellness. And I was, I didn't even, I was so nervous about joining a gym that I told a friend I was gonna do it by the end of October and that she had to follow through on it, like make sure I actually did it. And that's what got me to actually go. But that jump started for me, like a journey in prioritizing my health. That then, when I wasn't happy at L'Oreal, I actually had the guts and confidence to quit because I was feeling really good because I was prioritizing working out and eating healthier. Yes. But the way that whole journey happened was very, it was like focused on small micro steps. So first, I was like, let me just work out two times a week. And then I increased it, and then I started to work out before work because it was when I had more predictable time. But then, and I'm, then it became diet related, and I'm sure there were times where you made this commitment to health. Yeah. But then work goes. Oh, we need you till 9 p.m. Yep. tonight. Yeah. And uh, and then yes. you felt you felt pulled from two ends. Yes. Yes. Because um, it's like, it's not perfect. It's, it's it doesn't look perfect, but it's about consistency over a longer period of time. So if you have a crazy week, just jump back into it, right? So how do you reprioritize it? Or how can you shift time to a different, like I started to work out in the morning because no one, were, I wasn't gonna be at work at 6 a.m. Uh -huh. But I could be at the gym at 6 a.m. most days. Yeah. Or 6.30. So finding solutions that work for your lifestyle when your lifestyle changes. So for example, Maybe your workout isn't a 60 minute class. Maybe it's a 20 minute, I'm gonna walk home further from work yeah, to still me. get movement in today. That's right, so, was, so that, it might, it was like, how can you make it work? Those kids are the cutest. Oh yeah. How can you make it work even when work is demanding? So it was, about, it was a flexible approach, but it was, I just, it just empowered me so much that I continued to prioritize it.
yes, it didn't always look perfect. So tell me, just tell me, like you said, people were coming to you. Mm -hmm. Like, give me some stories of people coming to you. So I'd have friends, mostly female friends, who were like, you know, you, you're, I'm on Instagram and I see, you know, here's these influencers doing these crazy wellness routines. I can't do that. I have to, I have to, I have to work. I don't have time to do you're that. You're not a professional Instagram I'm not influencer. <laughs> that, but like the way it's positioned online and also the way a lot of content on platform, like websites makes it look like every single woman is doing that uh -huh. when that's not true. And so I would talk more about, well, I'm just focused on these small changes. Here's an app I'm using when I go to the gym so I can go on my own time and still follow something. Or I've started meal prepping on Sunday so I'm still able to bring a healthy lunch to work. And I'm learning how to say no to maybe some social events in the evening so that I have time to do this by myself. Yeah. So, so you, yeah. You, you developed this, this. And so what you say it was your side hustle, but yeah. I, I, you weren't charging for this. No, this was just free advice and it wasn't also, I wasn't very consciously doing it, if uh -huh. that makes sense. So it was, people were just coming to me and I was sharing and I was exploring myself, trying to figure out how I could further this wellness routine while working a demanding career. And that was just happening. And that made me realize, wow, I really like health and wellness. Lao, let me figure out if I should move to a, another corporate job in that space or... Okay, so, so you're sort of just developing this awareness that, yeah. that you're super passionate about health yeah. and wellness. Um, well, and then at the same time, I was very frustrated by a lot of blogs, like large publications online uh -huh. that had all this unrealistic content yeah. that was just putting you down. Yeah. So like 15 ways to become a morning person. Sure. Which is a clickbaity title. And none of, you're not going to do any of them. You read it. <laughs> yeah. You read it and you're like, oh sure. But like, no, you know, and then you'll feel good. So like none of it was solving something for people. Like it's like, okay, like that's, there's this problem, content problem. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they're fundamentally trying to get your attention to, to, to get you to read it for like literally yeah. one, one or two seconds yeah. so they can get their little ad click revenue yeah. and, and that's it. So you read that, don't do anything as a result and still feel horrible because you're not making wellness happen because your job is taking all of your time. And maybe there is good content out there but you're not reading it. So you, you're like getting frustrated. Yeah. And um, you're, you're sort of like... I want to know how did you make the leap yeah. from like working at a strategy firm to then saying I need to devote full time yeah. on on my own thing. Well, I ended up taking this general assembly class called 30 Days from Idea to Decision. There you go. And I actually thought, genuinely thought, it was going to give me frameworks to help make decisions at work. That's why I took it. I was like, it's a one night workshop. Turns out it was actually how to validate a startup idea yeah. in 30 days. And the guy who led it actually has an accelerator for people with full-time jobs called Tacklebox. Oh. Do you know about Tacklebox? No, okay. but I like that it's focused on yes. specifically people with jobs. So his whole, yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, I have lots of opinions about that, but I, I'm more curious about, about your well, experience. His whole thing is that if you have a job, the opportunity cost of quitting that job to start something that is just an idea is huge. Uh. So how can he, and he helps you in six weeks after and before work, validate and helps you basically gives you the tools and resources and, and education you need to help you feel good enough to actually launch it. Yeah. So this is really interesting because it's sort of like a, like a business angel almost. Um, 
and I mean that in the in the in the metaphorical sense, not in the, in, the, in the VC sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this guy who's like trying to like seems has maybe figured it out for himself and then share. But um, so so you this is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so you got this sort of nudge. Yeah, on accident. Totally on accident. <laughs> so he pitches this accelerator at the end of the General Assembly class. And this was December. So December 2018. Uh -huh. So holidays. It was I was very busy, about to go to Oregon for a while. So I come to him after class. I'm like, I have this health. Or I emailed him. I didn't even go up to him. I was like, I have this health and wellness idea. But I'm not really ready to work on it yet. And then he followed up with me. I think in February, and we had a phone call. And what I pitched him at the time was the content thing. So I was like, there's all this content that isn't actionable. And at the time I was just focused on women. Like women aren't feeling good, aren't making wellness happen because their jobs get in the way. And, and then I was like, at the same time, I want to include this module on how to help people build healthy habits. Because I think people are having a hard time and I've learned how to do that really well. And he was like, that healthy habit thing is interesting. Let's lean into that more. And so he was the one that kind of recommended I look into habits because he realized, he, and now I do too, like the content is just like a way to, content marketing is a way to generate leads, right? So like that can still be a part of Habit House in the future, but the product is really more habit-based. Uh-huh. So yeah, then I entered the accelerator in like March or April. Uh, did you, were you required to quit your job then? Or no, no, it was after work. So. So you were still working. Still working. And doing that after hours. I think it was like three days a week, and then mornings eventually. And that's the hardest I've ever worked, because I would work and then come home and work more. Yeah. And I, as I said before, I'm very structured, and so of course I'm gonna. We'd take a boat ride. I'm not really in the mood, but I'm just saying. The option is there. Well, on Saturdays or Sundays, it's actually free. Ah. Yeah, I've done it before. So what was I, what was I saying? Um, you were talking about how difficult it was burning the oh, candle from both ends. It was, but I was very motivated, so it was worth it. Yeah. I, and for me, like having that six-week structure of like, I'm going to meet one-on-one -on -one with this dude, and I'm going to have to show him what I've done in the last week, kept me really going. So what did the first prototype of Habit House look like? So before that even, for the first two weeks, I just spent time talking to people. Uh -huh. I didn't even have, I was like, what is the problem I'm solving? And what is the, what are the pain points? So I went very customer first. Yes. So there was Sundays where I'd have 20 minute phone calls in 30 minute increments for like four or five hours. Wow. Cause I literally would be like, I'm looking to speak to more women exactly like you. Do you know anyone else who's working a demanding career in a city also would like to just talk to me? I kept it very broad cause I didn't want people to know about anything going in. Sure. So it was a ton of customer interviews and very broadly asking things about like, when's the last time you were happiest and what did your life look like then? And, and okay, well, did you, what, did you have a routine? What was that routine? And what made it easy to have that routine to really, what makes it hard now? How have you tried to solve for it? Stuff like that. Uh. And then in the accelerator, you create an MVP. So you create a prototype. Basically I had someone agree to join my pilot and I didn't even know what the product was, but I sure. knew, I literally did it. She agreed and I was like, okay, we start tomorrow. And then I made it up. <laughs> That's I right there. I literally, yeah. That right there is so wonderful. And I was like, okay, we're gonna do this. Yeah. That's so. gonna give you so much motivation to go and like, you know, chisel in and hone in on what you need to be doing. <laughs> 
yeah, I was like, okay, well, tomorrow morning I'm calling you again. So it was around, I'm going to help you build healthy habits. I'm going to coach you and hold you accountable to them. Um, the first prototype was a weekly call, um, weekly planning. So you would tell me every week when you were going to work out. Uh-huh. Um, and then I also provided actual workouts for you to do. Um, and some people wanted nutrition advice again as well. So here's a recipe you should cook for meal prep. Uh-huh. So guiding people through these healthy habits that I built by holding them accountable. So for a while, every Sunday, I'd have like 10 calls with check weekly check-ins. And those be- then I realized those could become shorter. And then I realized weekly check-ins were kind of redundant. People just needed the weekly planning and a monthly check-in. And so like as I had these users, the product evolved a lot. And then eventually I realized people needed to receive like text message motivation in the moment that like a weekly check-in was still not going to get them to work out Thursday afternoon when they were tired after work. And so women would be like, can you just text me before I get on the subway? Because otherwise I'll take the subway home instead of to that class, past class. And so I started texting people a lot. Yeah. And then people were like, can you text me before bed? Because otherwise I'll stay up hours later and I won't get up to go to work, to work out. Uh-huh. So like people started asking for that. They want constant, constant nudges, reminders, motivation. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, high touch. Yes. And so but high touch in a way that's easy for you to respond to. Like a call became a pain point because these people are too busy and no one calls anymore. Yeah. You know? So it like shifted completely to text message naturally because that's what people were asking for. Yeah. Which kind of happened on accident. And then at some, literally this was all on my iPhone, all on iMessage. I had no life, literally no life. You were just a text machine. I was texting people, but in like horrible hours, like from six to 9 a.m. And then from like eight to like midnight. And then I had someone suddenly who was in Hawaii and that was like horrible for New York. <laughs> like, yeah. it was like, I can't live like this anymore. So then I started to look for third party text message solutions to like further build out my MVP. And that allowed me to be able to like do things like this because I wouldn't have to send a message. It would go as I scheduled it. So it moved away from just human to like a little bit of automation in there as well. Yeah. Interesting. Summer. So then I started to be like, okay, if people are still following through on an automated message, how much further can I push that? Uh Right. So, the, then the weekly check-in where every week you tell me like, I'm going to work out now, or just at certain times. Like I was like, can I make that a, a chat bot within a text message ch- thread? And will that then like increase, fo- decrease follow through or engagement on other texts? And it didn't. So like I've just kept, I've been pushing the boundary of the automation, but still making things seem human. So like when I text someone, it'll be a picture of me. I'm like, I'm about to work out. Are you almost at the gym? So and I expect responses. So like, are you intentionally like, here's a- Well, I guess what I'm saying is in order for it to be scalable, yeah. it has to be automated. And I now see a world where natural language processing is gonna allow a robot to respond more than me. Yeah. But I never wanna get rid of the human component completely. Cause that is, what drives a lot of success here is like, well, I told Ilsa I was going to do it. So I did it. So what a lot so there's of, there's a fine line. What a lot of big companies are doing. Um, and maybe it's not the right, right analogy, mm-hmm. 
maybe maybe it's not the right analogy, but but if you like, there's so many ways to like analyze this problem. Um, yeah. What and, problem? And this and this, the view is just captivating me. So. Um, well, we should then turn a little further to the do, do, do. Statue of Liberty. Oh, you want to see? The, uh, this where is, is it? really it's tiny. It's really tiny, though. On the camera, it's, it's really. There. Yeah. On the camera, okay. it's super tiny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. People um, solving this. A lot of how big companies are trying to solve this problem. <sighs> but I don't know if it's right. Uh, but I'm just gonna. We're yeah. just gonna go there. Okay. So so. There they had. Imagine you had. Well, there's. Ah, what are you saying? I'm like editing myself because like I don't want you to imagine you have a billion dollars because then that might that might make you think that you should go pursue and get a billion dollars as opposed to, you know, figure out some really efficient hack. Yeah. You know, that's that's probably going to help help you make your business. But but all that said, all that pre-qualified, I'll make some of my original points. What some of the giant companies are yeah. doing or saying, talking uh -huh. about, is with all the AI research they have and all the PhDs they hire and non yeah. non PhDs that they hire, is um, you know we always have like thing they're always planning for things to go wrong in these scalable solutions. Yeah, um, right. There's always a sort of loop for human to get involved. Mm -hmm. um, you know they they think it's it's impossible yeah. to just have a hundred percent automate for really sophisticated things yeah you know I like, agree. Cu like customer yeah. service um, yes the other thing is I think if you try to build a company that's like really AI heavy and uh -huh. really you might you might like go out of business before you figure out what your business model is because it's so hard to build that yeah well that's why I haven't done it that's why I've Right now, I'm using a ton of human labor, my labor, yeah. my time, to answer text messages all the time but whenever you, they come in. But you said you've automated some of it. I've automated when the messages go out. So... Ah, uh, so there's... Okay. So I schedule them. Yeah. And if someone texts me, I'm actually not working out tomorrow morning, I'm actually going to do it Thursday morning, I manually change when that's going to be texted. I guess the reason why I still feel like I can push it further with AI is oh, because... Oh, I think you can push it way further. It's because what... I'm not having uber complex conversations. It's more accountability and planning and motivation. Yeah. That gets people to follow through on something they've always really wanted. Yeah. So, I think it can get me really far, but no, I'll never get rid of the human touch. It's just how many, it will allow a coach to service more people because they are backed by artificial intelligence. Right, and then another yeah. another way to, to totally scale your business is just like hire humans yeah. and create Which a is what the beginning will be. Because like you said, I'm not gonna spend all this time developing this soft, this AI algorithm. I don't even know, I'm not technical. Like I'm not gonna spend time yeah, doing that took, because other companies took, are doing You took statistics, like. I did, yes. But like, that I can't code but I can help me see if I've successfully made behavioral changes in, this, in a statistically significant way. You, you may have to code in order to get this company like to where it needs to go. Yeah, or I find someone. Or you could find, right. You could yeah. find, um, if you could find a technical co-founder, that yeah. that's one solution. Yeah. No, uh, you're right, I might have to learn. What I, what I have also had conversations with other people who've told me that like, 
there's companies working on out-of-the-box solutions that I might eventually be able to plug and play with yes. that are not quite ready yet, yes. but will be in like a few years. Well, so I'm few, not going to spend time developing that. A few years, no, there's like... Maybe there's, sooner there's than there's that. There's a gajillion... There's a gajillion chatbot companies yeah. right well, now. And I've used a bunch of them yeah. or tested them. Yeah. Especially on Facebook Messenger, there's insane chatbots. I mean, fu yeah, fundamentally, the, 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 yeah. Medium, the medium doesn't matter. What, what, what matters is, is the, the, the scalability. Like, like, how does the algorithms apply to the process that you're building? The product, the process is more important than the tech. Well, the, the medium, you know, the, the, the eventual marketing channel that or, I just call the Facebook a marketing channel. What do you, what do you like? But my, my marketing channel then is SMS. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, by, by on purpose. Which is a really, it's the original. It's like the, it is, but it's the one that everyone answers is hard for you to ignore and feels the most human. Yeah. And it happens to be easy for me to, <laughs> to build on. Yeah. So I don't think SMS is ever going to go away. Sure, I agree. I, it might turn into voice, but I don't. You, you're not, not always talking to your phone. There are there are just certain times of the day where talk. Like if you're in a meeting, yeah. uh, if you're in a meeting, you're feeling fat. You're feeling like you just ate a turkey last night. Uh, you don't want to like talk. You just no. want like a little motivational yeah. text, yeah. you know, because yeah. you're in a really boring part of a meeting, and yep. you know. Yeah, you don't want. You're not going to want it in any other way. No, exactly. <laughs> I also would argue that people are just sick and tired of downloading more apps. So like, you don't need to do that here. Uh, you know, it's, you already have it on your phone. Like there's no friction. So. Anyway, I feel like we've gone on a little. No, this is, I love, I love getting, getting deep into the deep cuts, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can answer that. What are your so, plans for Habit House? So like, up until this point, what I've described to you is like, I'm helping customers exercise, right? And I do that over text message. People, up till now have been paying a monthly subscription to be a part of Habit House. But for me, if I'm going to build a scalable company, what a quicker way for me to go to market is by going business to business. Yeah. Because direct to consumer is really expensive. If you make a business to business sale, you suddenly have like, what, thousands more users or hundreds more users as opposed to going one by one. Mm. So in the last like year and a half of Habit House, I, I, first I was like very broad on a bunch of habits. I honed in on exercise is the one people want most and that's where this method works really well. So I've z narrowed in on that, but now I'm like, where are there a bunch of people that want to exercise more but aren't? And I've land, what I'm going to be testing out over the next few months is, is there a way for me to partner with gyms and digital fitness subscriptions who have a ton of churn. So people that are quitting. In the fitness industry, I think like 40 to 60% of people quit their gym membership every year. Yeah. Which is insane. Like they're, they're basically like filling this bathtub with new leads and the bathtub just has a bunch of holes in the bottom because uh -huh. people keep quitting. But those people who join had a huge intention of following through, yeah. right? Because otherwise you wouldn't have joined in the first place. Uh, so a product like Habit House can actually get those people to exercise consistently and feel really good while also helping the gym achieve their goals. Interesting. So that... So there's a lot of turnover in the gym industry. Yes, yes. And if you look at the, the fitness industry today, like it used to just be gyms, right? But now there's a bunch of boutique fitness. Now there's at-home on-demand fitness or live fitness. Like gyms need to innovate in order to stay relevant. But they... Innovation has been a little stagnant there beyond wow. like, besides like once you're in the gym experience, I, the digital experience isn't, right. there isn't a huge digital experience if you join a gym. So Maybe I, there's an app. It but. would be really cool to like have, 
you know, a cool lifestyle app that, you know, you join the gym and then like, it did, the experience isn't just in the gym, it's just like, yeah. it's always around. Right, so this, which way are we going? I'm, I'm gonna oh. make a U-turn. So with, in terms of Habit House, it would allow a gym to get members to come back consistently, realize why people may be leaving. Oh, watch out. Yeah, that's bad, bad choice, <laughs> bad choice. Um, so I think, I think it's a, it's a win-win in terms in, but I haven't tested it yet. So in the last few, two weeks, I've had a lot of conversations with people who are more familiar because of course I work out, but I've never worked at a gym. Oh, right? So you've always been a home, home worker. No, no, no. I work out at a gym, but I've never worked at a gym. Oh, worked at a gym. In corporate world yeah. or in sales there. So speaking to people that have to understand what are their pain points? How can I best approach this conversation? And the first week in November, I literally planned to go to maybe like 15 in one day and try to get meetings and to see if there's some sort of pilot we can do to, to make this happen. So you're building, you're building up to that. Yeah. Um, and... While still keeping my like direct-to-consumer channel going. So, so you're really pursuing it from two angles. Yeah, which I've mixed feelings about, but it's just the way it is. It's just a lot to do for one person. It is? Yeah. Um, have you ever tried finding co-founder? So if I were to do one thing differently, I probably wouldn't have started alone. But as you know, from but my you, story, I started on accident. So but here, but here's I didn't plan to do this. But here's the thing. It's like, I think that we have kids to avoid. I think that, um, and now we have, they're assaulting us. Uh, I think that, um, entrepreneur solo founder like until your company is started like you're yeah. still restarting every second you know yeah it's like I mean this has allowed me to make really fast decisions and move forward quickly I just think two minds are sometimes always better than one yeah so why, um, not, why not try to recruit somebody so if if I find this product market fit with the gyms willing to pay to hold their users members accountable to coming back uh -huh. I will yeah. But until I've proven exactly how I can get traction, I don't think it's the best use of my time. Because I, I guess even more bluntly, like for me to keep working on this idea is there's a huge opportunity cost, right? So if I can't prove it out in the next few months, I might not do it anymore. Sure. <laughs> because then I want to work on something else. Um, and I'm not going to bring someone into that until I've proven it. So, it, like... This is one, so I had a very similar experience uh -huh. in, my, in my startup, uh -huh. you know, life. Um, yeah. w w which is giving up maybe too easy. Yeah. S but I, I think I'm giving up too no, easy. No, I, I, let me, let me okay. stretch it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I hear you, um, I heard you, you know, with like, maybe a little bit at L'Oreal, you know, you were still discovering what you want to do. Yeah. What you like. Um, you like took the initiative to say that healthcare is is, is super passionate. That yeah. that we we agree yeah. we, we know. Um, so okay, here's a here's a hypothetical for you. Mm -hmm. so if you were to do something else, would do you need some time away from the health health space? Yeah. So I've realized what I 
when I was at L'Oreal and then in consulting, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't like, wow, I love doing this and I think I'm good at it. Yeah. But I've started my own company and meeting a lot of people along the way and a lot of mentors. What I've realized myself and then the feedback that I've gotten is that I'm good at building yeah. and creating. And, exactly. And so my point being that like I'm a little bit industry agnostic because I love the entrepreneurship process. Yeah. It could be in a different field. It I've just found a world that I really enjoy working in. Yeah. I feel extremely empowered by it as a person. Uh-huh. I'm excited to work on, but I don't want to beat this drum forever if it's not the right drum to beat. Of course. Um, I think that I haven't proved that it's not yet. I'm testing it still. Yeah. So I, and maybe a month from now I'm sitting in a completely different spot, you know, because it is, ex I've achieved it and I can go on to apply to accelerators I might want to get into or go fundraise because I now know exactly that's, Every entrepreneur is struggling with that. Yeah, I mean, so. somebody, somebody on the show who started a company that's, you know, worth close to a billion dollars, mm -hmm. somebody on this show, like, had this idea about uh -huh. 25 years ago uh -huh. and just, like, wow. kept doing it. And, like, the wow. universe and the world just, like, kept pushing him away and shutting him down. But he just, like, never yeah. gave up. And he's like, well... Uh, my idea still doesn't exist. Uh, I still have this problem. And it took like 15, 20 years. To solve it? To start it? To like, to, to half start it and then like ha have it get shut down in his face and then like rest on it for a year. And then like, you know, uh, say after a year, oh, nobody's still done this. Uh, okay. Pick it up? Yeah. And it I took guess, 15 years. I guess what I, pops into my mind is that like, the highs of entrepreneurship are high, but the lows are much lower. Oh, yes. And it's <laughs> it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's also the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Yeah. Besides hiking the Tour Mont Blanc. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's more physically challenging. But yes. like, I, yeah, I just think about that a lot. Of, hey. <laughs> of is this the right, problem I right now I'm standing here yes I completely think it is and I'm excited to go have these conversations with gyms and like if there's pilots happening I will be extremely energized by it. I'm just in this in-between stage you yeah. know which is hard of course it's hard um yeah. mo and I'm just all I'm doing is quoting quoting a guy on this show uh -huh. most and he, he this is a guy who's a different guy yeah another okay. um this is somebody who's been starting companies since he's like a teenager yeah. And, and what he says is most entrepreneurs are not intimately familiar with the cycle of success and failure. Hmm. So what is the cycle? The cycle is exactly what you're of going through. what I'm going through? Okay. Which, which, right now, which yeah. is... Um, yeah, describe it to me. Enthusiasm, A. You start it with enthusiasm, uh -huh. A. And then you, you go try it out and then, you, you know, yeah. it, it, energy gets lower and, um, yeah. you know, a, a emotional state gets lower and then you get to some sort of rock bottom state. But in the broader context of things, it's like, it's only a local minimum. Right. It's, it's but you a, don't really know what that next high point is going to be. So exactly. in that moment, it's really hard. Exactly. I just, I do think that's why if I, once I kind of jump into this, B2B to C world and it's going, I need to find a co-founder because yeah. when you're together, the chance that you're both in this really low, 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 low is lower. Yeah. Um, well, I will so definitely. So then you can get, yeah, keep each other going.
I mean, I will definitely think about in my personal network if I know anybody yeah. who's a good fit. And then all of you out there in the universe, if you know anybody who's passionate about health. Yes, and then has technical knowledge because that's where I lack. So yeah, you're, you, feel, you feel like you want um, a coder kind of person? Yeah, or a project, product manager, someone with like, doesn't need to, because it can be outsourced, right? But yeah. someone has to like know how to build it properly that it's scalable. Yes. And also be a thought leader, like with me together. Well, exactly. Like the, yeah. the ultimate point of a co-founder, I think, yeah. is, to, is to be a sounding board. Yes. So I don't just want a code junkie. I want a strategic partner with more technical expertise than I have. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yes, passionate about living healthy. Right. Which is yeah. the, that's the core, the core of your company going back to what you did at NYU, you're not just looking for profit, profit, no. profit. You want profit plus yeah. mission. Right. I want people to feel good in their skin so that they can forget about wellness and focus on what they love about and they, what they love and what they're passionate about, right? Because mm. if you are exercising consistently, you might have the confidence to speak up at work and get that promotion you've always wanted, right? Ah. Or start dating again. Yes. I hear that one a lot. Like, I want to do this so that I feel good again so I can start dating, which is embarrassing for me to tell you, but that's what I want. It's, so stuff like that, that's where I want to get you. And, and you feel it all comes from exercise? A lot of it does. I think it comes from a bunch of healthy habits, but exercise is kind of the catalyst that gets a lot of them going. Yeah. Because when you are exercising consistently, you have a lot of endorphins. Yes. And when you have endorphins, you're more inclined to do other things to improve your health, or you're more confident to go, do, go after things you're, you care about. So I 100% I, I believe in your thesis, because that's like, that's something that I've discovered the hard way. Woo! That's something I've oh, I somebody just fall. fell on a skateboard. That's some, something I've without a helmet. <laughs> yeah, uh, that I've discovered the uh -huh. hard way. Um, you know, there have been times in my life where I was like not working out, um, and I was like existing. Yeah. yeah. I was existing, but I was maybe you know like less confident yeah. and yeah. more cranky. Yep. And less energized. Yes. Less and there, present. Yeah, and, and yeah. there's people I know too um, in my life who need a kick in the butt sometimes. So, yeah. so well, if, if, I, if I didn't have a wellness routine with exercise being a huge core component of that, I don't think I would have ever started this company yes. or had the confidence or guts to do it or the, the, the persistence to keep going. Yeah. Because it's hard, it's a lot of work. Of course. Yeah. But you know, but, 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 I think there's a lot of work yeah. ahead of you, right? Yes, oh, a ton. You're super early. Super early. And <laughs> you know, it, you, you have a taste now for yeah. what it's like. You're, I, I, I love this metaphor. You know, you're like a, a cowboy or cowgirl or cow whatever. And um, you know, you're sort of like riding your horse, you're out in the wilderness yeah. and you need to like get, get resources, right? You need yeah. to like get food, you need to make, establish relationships and alliances with with yeah. other cities in the, in the yeah. wild west and um you know your pot of gold is out there you just, just how do i get it how do i get there yeah there's like 10 paths to take to get there exactly <laughs> and all of them are a marathon so is there anything we didn't oh. cover on, on um i guess house? one thing a few two other things are part of my journey is that i because i wasn't involved in entrepreneurship while at school, but then I have since gone, returned like back to NYU and taken advantage of a lot of resources they have for graduates and recent graduates 
for un like entrepreneurial graduates. Uh -huh. um, so I guess my point, not I guess, my point being that you should try to take advantage of like resources that might be readily available to you. But have been really crucial to my success yeah so um and a lot of those are free it doesn't have to be at your university it could also be in the city or stuff like that i love it um yeah, yeah i think there's like a i think there's a huge stigma you know i really do about like everybody has a different time when they're supposed to like hit their calling mm -hmm. some people mm -hmm. hit it when they're 17 or Mm -hmm. seven years old or yeah. 25 or you're a 30 under 30 but you know there's lots of entrepreneurs who are in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s and most actually most successful entrepreneurs are i think over 50 yeah because of the amount of experience they have under yeah. their belt but that's obviously not me <laughs> um but you know everyone's at a different yeah. time yeah and so i think that's like super great you know your advice which is like there, there might be all these reasons why you're not reaching out to, you know, people at your in your community or yeah. or self doubt or whatever. Um, but but yeah, as you say, do it. Do it. Also, to for a while, I was very focused on a lot of little things until someone told me to focus on a forest, not a tree. Uh huh. Talk, talk about this. So think of like in your wildest dreams, what's this big picture of where this could eventually be? and focus on building towards that, not on this small, small issue of like, oh, one, one member quit. Yeah. Because that small issue doesn't matter in the long term, but like building the company in a way that allows you to scale or setting up the right structure to get to a big business is way more important. Mm. Because your business model can shift. I'm about to shift it, you know? Yeah. And so that one person doesn't even matter anymore. That, that, that doesn't matter that they, that was a signal, but it wasn't, something that should consume my entire month yeah you know so i've and i think a lot of women sometimes don't focus on the big picture because they're not encouraged or pushed to yeah whereas a lot of men more often are like this is a billion dollar idea and this is why and they don't even think twice yeah so i've tried to think but a lot more. of men a lot of men <laughs> give up too yes and yeah a lot True. of men you know yeah. Are, are are never meant to even the, are never meant to be startup founders even though they'll they'll try for a year yeah but yeah no matter what you're how you're born or what sex you are like i think startup founders are so rare and you know why because of what you're experiencing like do you have the grit plus there's this certain Maybe it's your DNA, maybe it's yeah. the way you're born, maybe it's your personality. I don't know what it is. Yeah. But yeah. all of these all of these things have to add up plus some element of, of maybe luck or, or if you and believe in that word. A little crazy. Maybe a little crazy. I think luck has a part of it too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here's the final question. Okay, do you ask everyone this? I ask everyone this. Mm -hmm. This is the signature. So my question is how do you think you've grown? as an entrepreneur as a person or as an entrepreneur as an entrepreneur okay it can, it, growing as a person can be part mm -hmm. of it because uh, we are people right and it's not like you're like a business entity and like your business personality you know I, yeah yeah <laughs> eventually like it has to all merge 
How have I grown? Um, trying to think of how to word it correctly. I think I was very insecure in the beginning about my ability, like why would I be the one to solve this or do this? Uh -huh. And I don't have technical expertise and I don't have anyone else. There's all these reasons. And what I've realized in the last like few months is like, I've just I've gained a lot of confidence and, and I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of how to, I guess you can, I can hack, I know I can hack anything together to prove out any concept yeah. without investing a ton of money in it. And I didn't think I have, I didn't think I would be the one to have that ability in the beginning. I've become extremely tuned in to like how to link maybe a business problem and a user's experience or feedback okay. and how to solve for both of those at the same time uh -huh. to make it better altogether. So, and I wasn't, in the beginning, I didn't really know how to do that. So maybe someone would want something and then I would solve for it, but then I was like, but that's not scalable or that's not what everyone wants. And yeah. now it's like, what do all my members want? And what do I need to do in order to like, grow scale make it build it in a way that's scalable and how can i build those two things merge those two things together yes um i think i've grown as an entrepreneur like there a lot yeah. so that i've been able to push the product forward and increase the experience while building it in a more scalable way than it was originally so what I'm hearing is... Yeah, summarize that for me. <laughs> a, at the, at the top end, which I think is actually more important than all the strategy uh -huh. that you just mentioned or the tactics. Yeah. Uh, I think is the confidence. Yeah. And, you know, that to me is, is how you've grown. And is the, you're, you realize that you could do things you never thought you could or should do. Yeah. And here you are doing them. Yeah. And, and having conversation. I like... I've led workshops at large companies in the city that I like specifically related to habits or like are now talking about part B2B partners in that way that I never would even had like imagine having those conversations. Yeah, and you, and, know? you yeah. know what I think is really unique? You never think about somebody in society as being like a habit expert. Like, yeah. and the fact that that's sort of different is good. I, like I'm always looking for you know niches yeah. that haven't been like. I mean, there are a few other dudes that are very habit focused, like yeah. the Power of Habit, and there's a few books and two guys that are super focused on like how to build habits. Yeah. But they're not really building a product around it. Uh, they're not building a product around it. There's always room for lots of voices in yeah. the ecosystem. It's not like there's there's one ring to rule them all. Yeah. Um, yeah and or there can be only one for you highlander deep cut deep cuts but uh yeah yeah so i guess yeah confidence maybe i should have just that should have been my one sentence answer <laughs> to how if i change as an entrepreneur i'm way more confident yeah not every day but most days yeah well, yeah i mean it's yeah we put on this armor to get out the house sometimes you're not in the mood to get out the house i know i sure aren't i'm not well and another thing is like when you're not in the entrepreneur world, you see these people doing things, you're like, oh, how did they do that? Like, they're so far, I could never get there. But like, once you start talking to those people, you realize they've hacked it together and they're battling the same issues you are. Yes. So their company, most of those companies don't look that different from my company. Uh-huh. But I wouldn't have realized that had I not started my own and had conversations with those people. Yes. Um, 
but that's really hard. That's intimidating as an outsider. Mm. But as an insider, I can tell you that everyone's struggling. Everyone is. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So that's made me more confident knowing that I'm not the only one. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think even, you know, CEOs of giant companies oh, yeah. are, are are struggling every day and not everybody is as put together and as invincible as you think they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Should we go up? Should we cross here? We can cross here, but the show's over. Oh. Oh. <laughs> so thank you so much. Yeah. Let's do it. We can do it in the sun. Thank you so much, uh, Ilsa, for, yeah. for coming on the show. Go to habithouse.com. Habit-house.com. Habit-house.com. Habit underscore house. It's all going to be linked. <laughs> You know, and this is going off over like eight different social media, so it's all be linked in awesome. the descriptions of yeah. all that. No, I'm t if you want to talk to me, contact me. For, actually, though, for habits. Yeah, for habits, or like if you're like, oh, I'm like what you're working on, and I'd love to contribute, or have you thought about X, Y, Z? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming yeah, on. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hand. Yeah, that was only like two hand switches, right? Every day is, you know, every time. Oh, was that good? It was fantastic. Yeah, okay.